Welcome to the podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Marietta, where we are committed to changing lives with faith, hope, and love. We're so glad you are here. Our second reading is from the New Testament book of Acts. These are selected verses from chapters 6 and 7. Stephen, full of grace and power, did wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and others of those from Cilicia and Asia, stood up and argued with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. Then they secretly instigated some men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people as well as the elders and the scribes. Then they suddenly confronted him, seized him, and brought him before the council. They set up false witnesses who said, This man never stops saying things against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses handed on to us. And all who sat in the council looked intently at him, and they saw that Stephen's face was like the face of an angel. And he said, Our ancestors had the tent of testimony in the wilderness as God directed when he spoke to Moses, ordering him to make it according to the pattern he had seen. Our ancestors in turn brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the peoples whom God drove out before our ancestors. And it was there until the time of David, who found favor with God and asked that he might find a dwelling place for the house of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made with human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you're forever opposing the Holy Spirit, just as your ancestors used to do. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, and now you have become his betrayers and murderers. You are the ones who received the law as ordained by angels, and yet you have not kept it. When they heard these things... They became enraged and ground their teeth at Stephen. But filled with the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears and with a loud shout, all rushed together against him. Then they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he died. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There are two flavors of officers in the Presbyterian church, elders and deacons. Elders are charged to govern the congregation. Deacons are charged to care for it. And so every year, Joe and I lead officer training because every year we welcome a new class of elders and a new class of deacons. 
I like to remind the deacons that the very first congregational leaders mentioned in our Bible are deacons. At least the first ones mentioned in the New Testament are deacons. The very first deacon whose name we know is Stephen. So if you are a deacon this morning or you have ever served as a deacon, know that you stand in a long line of deacons that stretches all the way back to the very early days of the church in Jerusalem. Why did the early church need deacons at all? Well, as the church is finding its feet, they begin to encounter internal conflict. Can you imagine a church with internal conflict? Yeah? Well, the early church had internal conflict too. The church was growing and what was growing in, in, along with their numbers was the need to coordinate its ministries. And so the 12 apostles call together all the believers and they're looking for seven people. Not just any seven people, but seven who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Those are the two requirements. And these seven are commissioned to a special ministry of care and justice. Stephen is among the seven. He's the first one listed. He's called to serve, and he says yes. And that is how we get our first deacons. Their immediate task is to oversee a food distribution effort that supports the widows in the congregation. That's the job. Make sure the widows on the left are getting the same as the widows on the right. That's what Stephen said yes to. But then Stephen starts to say yes to other things. He starts to do other things like tell people about Jesus. He starts to preach in the synagogue. He wasn't supposed to be preaching in the synagogue. He wasn't ordained to preach. He wasn't trained to do it. He didn't get tapped by the apostles to preach. And yet there he is. And then he receives the gift of miracles. And now he starts working miracles. He also wasn't approved to do that either. It just happened. So preaching in the temple and performing miracles, these are jobs the 12 apostles are supposed to be doing, but now Stephen's right there beside them. Now, sometimes when the Holy Spirit fills a person, it also spills out from that person in new and unexpected ways. It turns out Stephen isn't too bad of a preacher. He preaches, he teaches, he debates with such authority and conviction and power that he starts to cause trouble. He's hauled before the Sanhedrin. This is a religious court. He's brought before the Sanhedrin, and we wonder, will Stephen freeze up? Will Stephen know what to say? How will this person defend himself in front of an assembly of the most influential and learned teachers in the community? Well, we already knew that God was with Stephen, and now we see it's true because Stephen delivers the longest recorded speech in the New Testament. That's why we didn't read all of Acts chapter 6 and 7. Stephen retells the story of Israel, starting with Abraham and working all the way to the time of Jesus. He points out the repeated resistance of his people, the Jewish people, to recognize God at work. Stephen wraps up his history lesson with these words. He says, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That is where Jesus claimed he would be, the right hand 
of God, the position of power and influence. This is the claim that the Gospel of Matthew says sent the Sanhedrin over the edge when Jesus was before them. And it's the same claim that sends the Sanhedrin over the edge with Stephen. Who has the right to sit at the right hand of God? Well, Jesus got a proper fake trial, but Stephen doesn't even get that. He's dragged out of the court, out of the city, and stoned to death. The first deacon, stoned to death. So if you are a deacon this morning, or you've ever served as a deacon, no, it's dangerous to be a deacon. It's dangerous to be a deacon because if you say yes to God in a small task, you might find yourself saying yes to a much bigger one. You might be filled, as Stephen was filled, with the Holy Spirit, and that Spirit might move you to do all kinds of wild things like publicly profess your faith or even act on it. And when you do, When you do, you never know who might be watching. As Stephen is killed, a young man stands watch. Our scripture calls him Saul. And that was his name when he was playing for one team, then he switches teams, and his new name will be the Apostle Paul. And you may know this man as the Apostle Paul. The future Apostle Paul is watching Stephen die, and we read that he approves of his killing. In Acts chapter 8, the Apostle Paul, the future Apostle Paul, will lead the persecution of believers, and those believers, people who knew and loved Stephen, they will flee Jerusalem. They'll travel north along the coast, up to Phoenicia, over to Cyprus, and some will go all the way to Antioch. And there in Antioch, a church will be established, and that church will be made up of these religious refugees. By Acts chapter 9, this same person, Saul, who will become Paul, experiences a vision of Jesus. That's where his name gets changed, because his heart is changed too. Paul is no longer a persecutor, or now he becomes the persecuted. Now he becomes just like all those other Christians. Now where does he go? He heads north to the church at Antioch, a church that exists because of the death of Stephen, made up of people that knew and loved and maybe worshiped with Stephen. And that church takes Paul in. Now that's forgiveness. It is at Antioch that the followers of Jesus are first called Christians. And from Antioch, the Apostle Paul will take the message of Jesus throughout Asia Minor. He will plant church after church after church. And his letters to those churches will form the largest corpus from a single writer in the books of our New Testament. Paul never forgets the death of Stephen through all of this. He never forgets it. In the last months of his life, he returns to Jerusalem. This time, he returns as a Christian. And now, the angry mob is turned against him. And Paul speaks to that angry mob. And as he shares his story, he shares his experience at the death of Stephen and his own complicity in it. Paul worked tirelessly 
to advance the gospel of Jesus. He was in prison and beaten and mistreated. He faced a lot of angry mobs. And as you trace his story, you start to wonder, how did Paul continue to get up day after day, every time he was set back and pushed down? And I wonder, every time that Paul faced an angry mob, did he remember Stephen? Did he remember the courage of Stephen? Because we know that Paul was watching Stephen. If Paul was watching Stephen, then who is watching us? Who's watching me? Who is watching you? Who's watching you as you move through life? Who's watching you as you face struggles, as you overcome disappointments, as you navigate each new season? Who is watching you? You might not know. You might not know. You might not even believe anyone could possibly be watching you, taking their cue from you, or even shaping their life by how you live, but rest assured that someone is. Those seeds are in the ground even even if we can't see the fruit. At the age of 15, Malala Yousafzai was nearly killed on the way home from school when members of the Taliban boarded her bus in Pakistan and shot her. Her crime was being educated while female. She and her family fled to the UK where her story was picked up. She did recover from her wounds, but it took a little time. And while she was recovering, she became one of the most well-known teenagers in the world, a modern martyr. As her wounds healed, she used her newfound platform to advocate for the education of girls around the world. And at 17, she became the youngest person in history to receive the Nobel Peace Prize for her work. When she accepted the award before she even began speaking, she received a standing ovation. That ovation wasn't just for her work. It wasn't just for a worthy cause. It was for her courage. Everyone in that room was wondering, as I'm wondering, as you might be wondering, how does a teenage girl find the courage to stand up to the Taliban? You might have heard of Malala, but you might not have heard of her father. Malala is the daughter of Ziauddin Yousafzai. Ziauddin grew up with sisters in Pakistan, and he remembers reaching an age where he got to stay in school and his sisters didn't. That didn't seem fair to him. He imagined a different reality for his own children. After he graduated college, he opened a school for girls. And then he opened several more. When his own daughter, Malala, reached the age where other girls were staying home, his daughter chose to stay in school, despite the very real threats against her as the Taliban moved into their region. Malala credits her father in her Nobel Prize speech, saying, thank you to my father for not clipping my wings, for letting me fly. What gave her the courage to keep going? Knowing that she was putting her own life in danger every time she set out for the classroom? Her father did. Her father did because he imagined a different reality. He had the courage to push back against a prevailing world view, and that gave her the courage to do it too. 
In this place, every Sunday, we imagine a different kind of reality here. We imagine a different kind of worldview. One where to love is to sacrifice, where power is meant to be laid down, where the cross is meant to be picked up. That is a very different way of living. It's a very different way of being than you'll find outside these doors. And it takes courage to live that way. It takes courage to live in a new way. It always does. It takes courage to stand up for what's right. It takes courage to stand up to bullies. It takes courage to act on our convictions. But it's important that we do because courage is like the flu. It's catching. One act inspires the next. It's catching. Stephen's act of courage not only inspires Paul, it inspires countless Christians over the centuries to continue to live out their faith. There are still places in our world where Christians are killed every day, and there are many more where Christians are persecuted. And we're nervous about praying over lunch at Panera Bread. Northern Nigeria is one of the most dangerous places to live if you're a Christian. It's also one of the fastest growing Christian populations in the world there. Interesting. I read a story by a woman who watched her husband be killed because he would not recant his faith. And as he was lined up on the side of a road, just before he was killed, he bowed his head and prayed forgiveness for his murderers. How did he know to do that? Because Stephen did it. How did Stephen know to do that? Because Jesus did it. So we might wonder, does God call Stephen to be a martyr? Does God call Stephen to a life cut tragically short? I'm not sure about that. I believe God called Stephen to serve, and Stephen said yes. I believe God called Stephen to preach, and Stephen said yes. Then God gave Stephen the ability to work miracles, and Stephen did that too. You see, you say yes to one thing, and then you say yes to another, and before you know it, you're in front of the Sanhedrin. By the time he comes before the Sanhedrin, we read that Stephen's face was like the face of an angel, and you're thinking he must have looked really pretty but that's probably not what the writer means here. It probably means he looked fierce. Remember, every time angels show up, they have to tell people in the Bible not to be afraid. It probably means he looked convicted, on fire, maybe even glorious. Stephen kept saying yes to God, and in return, he was filled and filled and filled to overflowing with a spirit of life, with a spirit of truth. And it was this, this abundance of life, this abundance of truth that ran up against the prevailing world view. When truth and goodness run up against the sensibilities of sinful people, violence often results. So it was for Jesus. So it was for Stephen. So it was for Malala, so it may be for us. It is dangerous. It is dangerous to imagine a different kind of reality. It's dangerous to be a deacon. It's dangerous to be a Christian. God doesn't promise us a safe life. God promises an abundant one. 
God doesn't promise that things will be easy. God promises to walk through the difficulty with us. Jesus seems to foresee these kinds of trials for his followers. In the Gospel of John, he says this, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We hold on to that promise in our own times of trial. Stephen's death should have heralded the end of the early church. The sheep scattered, the flock went into hiding, but instead, Stephen's death fanned a flame that continues to burn today. See, because what sinful people mean for evil, God redeems for good. It was so for Stephen, May it be so for us as well. Amen. This podcast is a ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Marietta. Come join us Sundays at 189 Church Street, Marietta, Georgia, or visit us online at fpcmarietta.org.